Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. You know who it is, your boy, Aaron Daliosa, and this is An Immigrant's Life. For my loyal listeners, the music you just heard is a piece I co-wrote with my friend, Rachel Aviles, ages ago. And I've decided to make it our new theme song. I'm eager to know what you think about this, if you like it or not. Uh, so please drop me a line at An Immigrant's Life on all your favorite social media platforms or via email at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. And as a reminder, this podcast is available wherever you enjoy listening to your podcast. New year, new season of An Immigrant's Life. I'm excited to new adventures, new stories, from more incredible guests. And let's get on to our new season by talking about this week's episode. With a new year comes a brand new season of An Immigrant's Life, and I'm thrilled for the adventures and new stories and more incredible guests. To open up, we've got a fantastic topic on our hands, the art of timing and forgiveness. And to help us unravel the intricate web of that topic, I invited a special guest that possesses a one-of-a-kind perspective on breaking and crafting life's patterns and understands the profound significance of things happening at the right moment. Get ready for an inspiring conversation on seizing the present and dancing to the rhythm of your unique story. This is an episode you don't want to miss. So, let's get to it. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is an animator and illustrator. She transforms spaces into beautiful works of art, including her cute, infectious smile. Everyone, please welcome Meili Kyo. Hi! <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Actually, Chumrip Suo and Akun for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Akun Chanamong. <laughs> uh, before we continue and start, why don't you tell the immigrant nation if they, where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Meili Kyo, M-A-Y-L-E-E-K-E-O. You can find me on, I guess, maybe Behance, maybe Vimeo, maybe... Facebook, I don't know. I just kind of enjoy putting a lot on Instagram rather than too many social media. Mm. But yeah, pretty much my playground is Instagram. Do you have TikTok? I, I'm against TikTok because Why? of the data mining of it. Mm. Like it's, and I feel like we're in a world where if we add more attention to things that take away our time, it's maybe not worth doing. So I know it might sound great for some people to get a bigger reach, but that's not what I'm here for. I'm here for real connections. And I've been building a lot of like connections through Instagram and stuff. So yeah, I feel like it's okay to say no to things and to limit ourselves to what our energy can limit us to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Too much, too much things to too much to think. Like just go on Instagram. It takes so much time from you. Absolutely. And also, like, I'm on Reddit and I stopped Reddit during the blackout, but then I went back a bit. But again, I just under, I can see how much it takes away a lot of my time, my energy. 
I don't feel like it's it's really like positive in some sense to just mm. always be like plus it's like I'm dating a bit so I'm on Tinder and then I'm like okay I'm wasting time on things constantly just like add 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 and I'm like it's not adding anything positive you know so I just try and be like more limiting into my time you know yeah I like to approach it like do more things that you like yeah exactly absolutely you know like I know I like going to work out, go for bike, hike, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But listen, I'm a hypocrite. I'm like sometimes I go into this rabbit hole of Instagramming. Like, <laughs> bro, you need to stop. Yeah, but we're not perfect people either. But I feel like there's something where, um, like, let's say, um, funny enough, you have a the picture of my mural on the background of the Zoom. Mm-hmm. For me, murals is like the best way for me to get away from my phone, actually. Like I wouldn't, I would never look at my phone when I'm on, I'm on site when I'm painting Mm -hmm. because I'm so concentrated on it. And I feel so much more positive to like not look at my phone, you know? Mm -hmm. So sometimes like people would write to me, but I don't reply because I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to be able to disconnect, you know? Like Mm -hmm. if you're into something and you know how negative it is somehow, and you see something that actually brings a lot of positive, like... Just concentrate on that if you can. It's really important. <laughs> yeah. Do you listen to music when you're doing Absolutely. the Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I have this thing where I, I'm slowly discovering more about, like, my neurodivergencies. So I feel like I have uh, issues with, like, attention spans. And I think a lot. So music helps me a lot to, like, put down all these thoughts that mm-hmm. I have. I have a lot of thoughts. So music has always been something where it helps me really like stay really on one line. Mm. So yeah, even when I paint, I feel like adding music just gets you into this bubble, this mood where you're just like enjoying yourself to the to the sounds that you like and the music that you like. But mm. yeah, music plays a big, big part in my life and my creative process. Mm-hmm. What yeah. kind of music do you listen to when you're creating? I think it goes by the feeling, I guess. There's mm-hmm. times where I feel more sad, where I would go more slower. But there are times where I feel like if I need to push a lot, I need to, like s- like stronger energy, kind of like, you know, it can be like as much as it's punk rock. Sometimes it can be techno. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can be like hard rock or sometimes it's like bubblegum pop, like K-pop kind of very like strong BPMs. Mm-hmm. I'm, I really like things that are very like energetic a lot. But, like, I range to the feeling that I have at the moment, yeah. Mm, beautiful. Let's go back to your mural that you said, my wallpaper, which I love this piece, by the way. Oh, thank it's, you. Oh, awesome. I love how you connected all these flowers that signif- <laughs> sig- signifies each Southeast Asian countries. Yeah. Am I right to assume that each flower is, like, the quote-unquote national flowers of each uh, country? It's exactly that. You totally understood the the the, the goal I was going for. Because mm. I feel like a lot of times we try to um, tokenize on uh, trying to illustrate how diversity is. And sometimes we forget that diversity does not rely on people or the, the color of their skin. Because we're everybody. We're all a mix of things now. Mm-hmm. And as much as diversity comes in the people, but it also comes in the culture which I feel like the flowers, why I use that as an example um, for diversity is just because it's something very neutral. Everybody loves flowers. Hopefully, I think everybody will do. But 
the people who might see their own flower, their own national flower, or at least these Southeast flowers, I feel hmm. there's like a connection that might be to it. Like as much as the lotus is the national flowers of Vietnam or the champai or like the hibiscus and all, they're all hmm. flowers that we know of. So even if it's not something, a country that we know, it's still a connection to the feeling of these tropical flowers. Yeah, I love it. I was looking at it and it's like Philippines is, has the Sampaguita. Yeah. And cool. I'm like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> I love it. It's so cool. It's, Thank and you. It's, it, and excuse for my word, but it's like it's so simple, but it's so direct as well. Yeah, I feel like the thing is, um, I feel like a lot of people always try to push meaning into things, right? Like, mm. you know, when you get a tattoo, people ask you, but what does it mean? And mm. me as a very tattooed person, it's just, it doesn't mean anything. For me, it's a rabbit. But as much as it's a rabbit, it's the story that comes with it. For me, it's a rabbit that I got a tattoo from in Melbourne in Australia, you know. Mm. And when it comes to my art, I keep it not... I'm sure it's simplified, but I feel like art is a language where everyone can understand. Even if you don't speak the language of or you don't understand where it's from, you can still connect to it somehow in the feelings mm. or the emotion or the sentiment, right? Mm. Like... If you just see flowers, it's fine. But if you see more than just a flower, that's even better. But you don't have to force some kind of narrative onto things that doesn't need a narrative, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I just wanted to make flowers of Southeast Asia and it's written on the wall. So you don't have to like look for much more to it, right? It's, it's right there and that's mm -hmm. fine too, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Why was it important for you to have to create this art that shows the Southeast Asian representation? So it was for um, this festival called Festival Shoni, which mm. is like a more like um, Asian food art market kind of. Mm -hmm. But I feel like in Quebec mostly or in many places, people don't know about Southeast Asia. They would know Japan, China or Korea where it's more interesting or people would talk about Bali but they don't know it's in Indonesia maybe they would think Bali as one thing right <laughs> but for me it was like me as a Cambodian person also I remember I was coming back from my trip and then I called someone on the phone and I said I came back from a trip from Cambodia and she said where's that I'm like <laughs> uh it's in Asia yeah okay I don't know where it is is it and she said and uh, sorry and I said well it's next to Vietnam Vietnam and Thailand and said oh yeah Vietnam Thailand I know but Cambodia I don't and that was a moment of like reflection where not only it opened me to like this unfortunate ignorance it's not bad I mean everyone grows and learns differently hmm. but for me it went like this invisibility that creates on so many diverse countries in the Southeast Asian space like there's so much culture that comes from it and so much culture that gets like forgotten in this history you know because people just see the mainstream of asia right yeah like even people forget maybe that india is actually asian an asian mm -hmm. country as well right you know mm -hmm. so there's these things where i just feel like i'm not trying to push anything i'm just trying to educate in a simple way without having to like force anything for me it's the desire of representation is my main like one of my main values and goals hmm. i want people to feel like they're seen also so i guess 
creating this mural was to say, you know what, we exist and we we are Asians that are maybe further away from what you know. And, you know, because most of the time also when people see us, I guess they would be like, oh, you're Chinese, mm -hmm. are you Korean? Me, it's like, are you Filipino? And then I'm like, no, I'm Cambodian, you know? <laughs> But people would still stay into like the generalities of stereotypes mm -hmm. rather than forgetting the details that lie inside so many things that the world has to offer, you know? Yeah. Why do you think Cambodian doesn't have much representation? I think... Um, Personally, for me, there's a lot that comes because of, like, the war and everything. Mm. I feel like there's an invisibilization of, like, the fact that, you know, the Vietnam War took a big space during, like, the Vietnam War. But, like, also, there's also a very, like, centric cultural historical thing with the U.S. in the world. So maybe mm. people don't talk about these, like, other countries that were affected as much. But mm. I feel like also... In Asian culture, we don't speak up, you know? And it's mm -hmm. really the diaspora right now that's taking space and taking the the narrative now, you know? Mm -hmm. We grew up so much. I'm so sorry I say you know so much. But um, I feel like a lot of it comes it stems from how we grew up, saying mm -hmm. don't take space, don't be angry, don't be this, don't be that. But also I feel like, yeah, like if you grew up being told don't take space, It's, it's one of those situations where you kind of get indoctrinated in that. But some of us, I guess some rebels like us, that would be like, no, we're going to take space. We're going to talk. And slowly but surely, we will take the space that's needed to be sure that we are seen, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of things that are also like from the past, but I don't think concentrating on the past would actually help us move forward. I feel like the actions we take now Like I said, the diaspora right now, children of immigrants or new immigrants or whatever that come in and see that they feel that desire to take space, that's how we'll be able to be more present, more prominent, you know? Yeah, I mean, like we're like you said, we're not pontificating. We're just trying to tell the world that we do exist and, you know, hey, pay attention a little bit. We, maybe you can learn something from us. Yeah, or just open your horizons you know but again everybody learns differently everybody mm -hmm. learns in a in different ways and in their own time as well but i just feel like you know i don't feel mad about it but it does gives me a fire it lights up a fire of me desiring to push more you know mm -hmm. and i hope that's in a sense because yeah there's a lot of like anger and frustrations when you hear about things about like oh Like one thing is happening to your like motherland and, and you do feel angry and anger, but I'm at a point in my life where I'm just like, put that anger into somewhere else, put that mm. energy into somewhere else. Like, like I said, I'm angry about all this, like social media sucking away all the humanity of things. But like I said, I will put that energy in other places, you know, mm. and that's kind of what, what I feel like we should be doing as people as minorities or as diaspora to just like let's let's keep pushing you know if this is some if this is a sign for you to 
to be louder, then let's go. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You touched on this a little bit, but if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about it. Like growing up, how was how were you growing up? Who who was the first immigrant uh, generation in your family? Me, it's my parents, hmm. and yeah, I was. Um, they arrived after the Cambodian War, hmm. so the Khmer Rouge War, and um, yeah, they met in Canada, and I was born in Montreal, um, and. Yeah, since I guess we had like a growing up was very difficult. Um, there's a lot of things where I didn't understand, you know, that hard discipline and that um, lack of emotional support. <laughs> But as much as I'm trying to learn about why it happened rather mm. than looking forward to like, you know, create a bigger division in between us i'm mm. at the point where i'm like i understand now i'm trying to let go a lot of it because i don't think it's going to help me advance it it took like years and years of therapy and talking and fighting and calling and just trying to make them understand like hey i have depression hey that was not okay hey what what happened here was not cool mm. but things take time you know and when i went I don't know if you, when you grew up, but me and my parents always said, you never know until you live in Cambodia, right? And mm. then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Cambodia for eight months. Bye. And I did it. So they can't use that reason anymore. <laughs> but by doing so helped me a lot into like gaining some perspective and just like learning more and more to be like, okay, I'm breaking an old pattern, but I'm also breaking it while understanding why. Why did that pattern happen? How did that pattern happen? And to be like, you know what? If if this is our way to be able to heal in between us, mm. then that's that's fine. I understand the past this is the past, and I can't change it. But what I can have now is what I can be able to move forward and better. And I'm not against what I've learned. You know, I've learned a lot about compassion. I've learned about like different ways to love. And the hard work and the hardships that come to it, mm -hmm. even if there was a lot of hardship, yeah. But again, there's a lot of things where I'm just like thankful to have yeah. grown up in that environment. 100% for sure. How, but to that point, what's your opinion when people say, "Oh, hard," like people that are so creative and so smart and so driven, usually comes from that kind of pressure. Um, I think everyone has their own different ways of dealing with pressure or had dealt with pressure. I'm not saying that trauma should be this main leader of your creativity, right? Because hmm. trauma is is so much to unpack and unwind. And but if it's part of how you need to heal, then use it as a force. Hmm. But I don't see or I don't feel that what or how am I creating is part of that. I think I'm just creating because I'm just a very emotional person, to be honest. Mm. Like, I feel like that's something that's been repressed a lot when I grew up, maybe. And that's maybe something that I try to exteriorize a lot now because I feel like I can and I have the space for it. Mm. But I don't know at some point where that is the main factor of how I create, you know? Like, I mm. think I just create because... 
yeah, it's the environment that inspires me, what inspires me at the moment, or what I want to do, or what I, I don't know if I don't know if I've done this link in between. I've mm -hmm. done a lot of it when it comes to like yes, talking about me and my background and everything. Mm. It does mix in other things, but I'm not gonna say like, oh yeah, this is representing when my parents used to beat me up, you know? Like it's not <laughs> something that inspires me somehow or mm. it it can be helpful again in different situations, but I think 90% of my work is not part of the trauma mm. of that because being able to have the privilege to create is already a sense of healing somehow because mm -hmm. I'm doing a, a type of work where most of our culture would say, don't do that because it brings no money or, oh, mm -hmm. this is not worth doing because it's not like financially stable, you know? Mm -hmm. So to have all of that somehow, it's maybe my way of healing then and my way to create. Yeah. When you were young, like you said, you were the art being creative was being suppressed. Did you always want to be an artist or were your parents forced you to do other career path? I don't think they forced. I think with time, I understand the desire of wanting to protect the child to have something stable. And I understand that it's it's a duty of a parent to be sure that their child is fine, you know, mm -hmm. and that's that's very understandable. Unfortunately, it does create a sense of like inability of being good enough for the parent. And that creates a lot of tension inside. Hmm. But I've always drawn since I was a kid. Like I would remember drawing Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball. It's all things where it's not like something I'm not, I can't remember. I do remember these very, very well. Hmm. And more recently, I'm trying to include more my parents in what I do. Like, hey, come see me paint the mural. Come see me do this thing. And they do. And once I heard like my dad talk and he, he was talking to someone and he said, well, you know, she's in, she's in arts and she's always been drawing. So, you know, what can you do? And that, in a sense, that kind of validated me because that means he's always seen or my parents have always seen me create and draw. So it's not something like they were repressing. They just knew about it, but they didn't knew how to um, handle it. And that's mm. very understandable, right? But even if they weren't able to, like, I managed to find um, mentors in my life instead to replace that. Like, my art teachers in high school, I've grown an immense gratitude to them to be thankful to them for not having let me go when I was so into, like, trying new things. Like, every time they had a new exercise, I said, that sucked. Can I do something else that's more challenging, you know? And mm. that's... That's something that for me was like cool because I had people that believed in me and believed that I I could push harder. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have chosen the career path I have today. Mm -hmm. So I know that what they brought for me was very good and very like amazing as immigrant parents, right? But mm -hmm. sometimes they couldn't fulfill the things that you need because they don't know the resources for it. Yeah. So hopefully people can feel like, sure, we are asking a lot from our parents because they're our parents, but hopefully there's other people that can help you fulfill the things that are missing and keep you pushing and not give up on your mm -hmm. dreams of wanting to be a creative. 
Yeah. Also, one thing I speaking to children of immigrants is sometimes people tends to forget that immigrants are growing too while the mm-hmm. kids are growing. They're yeah. growing as wherever they move, like this Canadian, like your parents, they move to Montreal. They're trying to be Montrealers and they're trying to figure out things while raising mm-hmm. this kid. How can we raise this w- kid to be like us, but mm-hmm. not really like us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a big division for sure. And there's something so resilient about immigrant people or immigrant parents or immigrant families. They're so fucking busy to just like <laughs> adapt to something new. And I feel like things, laws that are forcing people to speak French in six months are just ways to just create more division and just a lack of sympathy and empathy to these Mm. people who just got kicked out from their own hometown to get a better life. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to be unable to create a sense of like empathy to that. Like who Mm. the hell can learn French in six months? Fuck that. Like mm-hmm. even Duolingo can do that shit, you know? It's 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 something where I feel so angry about mostly. And it's something where, yeah, I feel like that's where the fuel might come from, from creating. It just creates like, okay, these people need a voice. I need to share my platform. I need to share what I can bring to help these people who need a voice. And yeah, I just feel like there's resilience that immigrant families have is something that people who are born in privilege of being in a place where they don't need to get to leave mm-hmm. they'll never know they will never. never know the hardships that bring into getting separated from your own roots yeah the privilege that comes with it i was talking to a friend about this the other day that she was saying that like oh i have to go to a different province. I think she is visiting the province for a bit. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh my God, you know, it's going to be hard. I'm like, imagine leaving forever. Yeah, exactly. And most of us, they don't have, we didn't have a choice. We have oh, to so leave you, or else we're dead. So you're a first generation immigrant? Yes, ma'am. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I moved here when I was 20. Okay. So. And how did you feel in like trying to readapt in all of this? Uh, thankfully... Uh, Philippines is very colonized. <laughs> I mean, by, isn't it? <laughs> by the, by the Americans, so we're very like TVs, movies. We saw all these things, so kind of that somehow kind of helped, you know. Mm-hmm. But moving in, I think for me the hardest was finding friends. Oh, absolutely! Building a community of trust—it's so difficult, and to yeah. not to feel like and. I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, but it's funny how people are all separated. Yeah, it's separated because the people who want to like join in kind of feel divided somehow. Like mm. when some people are trying to learn French, but they hear they don't speak proper French in big quotation marks, mm-hmm. they switch to English instead of giving the person a chance and the patience to let them grow into the language. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like it's weird. We don't give the time or the patience or we don't let people just just learn the language or just yeah. integrate, you know? Yeah, There's- exactly. Integration is the biggest key. But yes, uh, unfortunately, I love Quebec. I love Montreal. It's just the language that kills us. That The weaponization of the language is what it really 
yeah, sometimes enrages me because mm-hmm. we need the French. It's cool because that's one thing that we have that we have that Toronto doesn't have, Vancouver doesn't mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. But for you to force someone to speak a language or even our signs, the French word has to be bigger than the English. I'm like, how insecure are you? I think, yeah, that's the problem is the insecurity of it. And I mean, I find it so completely weird to say the French language is losing its space. It's losing its space, but it's still absolutely one of the most colonized languages in the world. Mm-hmm. Like so many countries still speak it. I understand also the desire to keep one's culture. It is very valid, you know, mm-hmm. like if let's say I would go to Cambodia, you have to at least learn the language that you're immigrating to, which makes mm-hmm. sense. But there's a difference between forcing and helping. Mm. There's a difference into like saying, I want to help you to be welcomed in the new country that you're coming through. But also, I want you to be helped when you want to learn and when you are ready to learn the language. Mm. The problem in things is that we usually force and we usually, well, we, I'm sorry, I mean, Quebec, the Quebec government or the Quebec French francophonie of all of it, that mm. the thing is just forcing things onto people is not what people want. <laughs> you know? Mm. To be said, do this, it's different than saying, would you like to learn this? You mm. see how different just the way saying a sentence makes it so different. Yeah. Like you, I said, it's based on insecurity. That's the problem, right? It's... I understand it's insecurity. There's a sense of like validation also where I say it's also their culture. I can mm. also understand that. Like I said, you go to another space, you go in another place, you have to at least adapt somehow if you're going to stay there and take part of the culture. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There's, there, there is an insecurity in, because of a fear, but a fear does not validate a, like a reality, mm. you know? To have the fear of losing one's language, well, if so many people talk the language, then it's okay. It's not getting lost, but it is something to consider. But there is a difference into pushing people to do something rather than, you know, just let them be and let them be ready to learn the language. I do feel sometimes that rage, sometimes being like, oh yeah, it's true, like, you're here for three years. You studied at like McGill, for example. Mm. You didn't learn one ounce of French. That's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. It's not just a question of just like um, forcing a culture upon someone. It's also just a, like em- enjoying the culture. Mm-hmm. There's a difference into also just celebrating a, a culture where you're getting immersed to. You yeah. know, like there's, it's fine also to learn a new language. If people mm. want to like learn these languages because it's more popular, let's say like Korean, then why can't we also accept that you can just also learn French at the same time? Yeah. I'm very divided on this on this um, debate because mm. in some sense, because they bring very xenophobic points, the yep. government, but there's a sense also that also is valid is the fact that it is part of their culture. It yeah, is part no. of it is part of where they are. But also things where we should maybe consider is learning 
first nation languages we should that'll never happen <laughs> yeah i know but at the same time new zealand they learn maori hmm. so how come we can't learn like languages also that are actually the main languages of canada mm-hmm. you see there yeah. are things also that need to learn to coexist together but in this sense here it is very on the lines of colonialism yes. rather than forcing so you see that's the thing we have to learn how to decipher and dissect the layers of why one thing seems to be more um, talked about than the other. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just a question of one tries to be more the other. It's colonialism that's trying to take over. But yeah. there's also a part of sense where it's like, okay, it comes through like the history of it. Everything has a point in their sense and it's all on the spectrum of validation of like why or why it is. Yeah, but, what what makes sense? The funny yeah. thing is, I used to work at the airport. It's probably it's my first job here in mm-hmm. uh, in Canada or Montreal. Mm-hmm. I used to work for a fast food, and I we always get like Parisien uh, passing by, and they'll talk to like our managers and whatever. And they were so most of them. I'm not saying all of them are so mean to the to the manager saying like, "Where did you learn French? This is not proper French. If this is terrible, like yo." It's, it's not so fair. Bad. Yeah. But that's the thing. People don't learn about patience because mm. patience is not a given trait to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's not because you, if for me, I tell it to everybody. If I can understand you in the language we speak, then you speak the language. Mm. That's it. Your, lang- your, your level of language might be different. But it's also a mixture of why it's different. We're Mike Mai is different because I'm born in North America. Mm-hmm. I have three dictionaries rolling in my mind at the same time. It's normal that it's all fucked. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if an Anglophone is trying to learn French, but you're putting them down because they don't speak French to your desire, mm-hmm. you are going against the current of that person's process to learn a language that they're trying to um, decipher people people desire things to be at their level we all have this desire of control but sometimes you have to let go and be like people are just on another wavelength everybody's paths are different you don't know what they're going through yeah i want to shift gear a little bit in 2019 you had the privilege to show your artwork to your grandma. How was that? <laughs> wow, you went, you digged. Um, I think it was a very special moment. I don't think she understood it, but I think she did. But sometimes it doesn't take much to just feel a sense of validation sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because, Again, I was working hard to integrate my family into what I do so they can understand. Because all they understand is they think I make cartoons because <laughs> I do animation. And I'm like, that's not it. That's not what I do. But it's okay. It's the closest to what they understand. They're trying to understand and it's really, really fine. But mm-hmm. I, I don't expect much from my family when I show things. But mm-hmm. I do hope that they can understand more where I'm going through with all of this. So I hope she was happy, I guess, to be like there, you know, to see what her 
young granddaughter is doing. <laughs> um, I, I, I can imagine her being asked, like, what does she do? And they were like, oh, she goes to the scaffolding and draw something on the wall. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it, you know? And it's not, it's, it is what it is, right? <laughs> we don't dig deeper. But I think the feeling of her being there was, was actually really cool. Yeah. That to be have, like, have a, a moment and a picture with her to just being able to, to let her see at least once because I mean she does Montreal and Cambodia a lot so mm. she has a lot of family over there a lot of family here mm. a lot of family in Australia as well so mm. to be able to just have a one moment with her was actually cool to have yeah. you in know my, my memory you know what my favorite about that picture is all the people that's standing there yeah. your smile is beaming and then as the as <laughs> The generations get ager, their smile becomes like smaller and smaller, and your grandma doesn't, it's not smiling at all. Yeah, my grandma does not smile. She is very stern. Mm -hmm. I even, I, I remember when I told my dad, Hey, dad, are you like always mad because grandma was always mad at you? And as much as like, I, like I said, trying to um, break some patterns that exist. I feel like that's one of them to be like confronting my family, be like, oh, this is why you're like this. Because <laughs> grandma is never happy about any. Like she, when she saw me when I was blonde, she was like, Ugh, why are you getting your hair blonde? This is <laughs> ugly. This makes no sense. Oh, look at, and then she takes my arm. She's like, oh my God, look at all these tattoos. Why are you having all these tattoos? You do this to your body. And I'm just like, well, what do you want, right? It's there, it's done, you know? <laughs> like, it's hair, who cares? But, mm. I mean, we also have to learn to let go of generations that don't understand stuff. Boomers have their own thing. Mm -hmm. Older generations have their own thing. Mm -hmm. The ones that are ready to learn will learn. The ones that won't, won't. There's things we can't we can't just, like, push also. And my if my grandma, she's not going to smile, then so be it. <laughs> yeah. And like you said earlier, like they weren't allowed to show emotions. Well, I don't think it's showing emotions, just like not knowing about it. I mean, when you grow <laughs> poor, no, but like when you grow poor, what, what do you know about rather than surviving every day? Yeah. Right? Well, the, I grew up poor, but I'm still smiling. I can understand, but you, you came here still young, you know, mm -hmm. like my, I mean, my, my mom went through the war, lost all her siblings and parents. Yeah. My dad grew up in the war also, but like they were in dirt ass poor like situations. I don't mm. think it's a question of just like like we desire things from people because we do things our way. But mm. if they don't do it the same way, it's okay to let to like let them be. Of course. So my I mean, I still I mean, I feel like it's like a video game where you have to download a patch to just <laughs> like continue the game because it keeps getting updated. Mm -hmm. I feel like life is the same, right? So mm -hmm. I'm learning my dad. Well, I'm learning my parents. Sorry. I'm teaching my parents how to show love differently. Mm -hmm. So in the past X years have been like hugs and I saying I love you and just like giving kisses and calling each other. These are all things that I feel like I've integrated in their vocabulary and in their ways to do, right? But Good that's job. the thing. 
it's just things if you if it's something you desire and the person is ready to to take it in mm -hmm. then the mutual desire will have effect yeah but if it doesn't don't force it yeah you can't force it it's, it's not fair for them and it's not fair for you as well but i love that you mentioned about you know saying i love you to your parents i was the same growing up there's no i love yous no you know absolutely not so I, that's one thing I started doing with my family. They're like saying, I love you, giving hugs, giving kisses, you know. And I mean, yes, we do have in Filipino culture, we do the hand, the manipul, we call it, to show mm -hmm. respect. You grab mm -hmm. the hand, put it on your forehead. That's the closest, like, physical we used to do when we got older. But then when we moved here, I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to break this cycle, you know. Exactly. Right? Like, I understand culture is culture, but... Yeah. There's something great about diaspora where we're in this gray zone, right? We're always mm. in the middle. Even mm. when you go to back to your country, they don't think you are like, they'll be like, oh, you're not Cambodian. <laughs> or when I'm here, I'm not Quebecois. Mm -hmm. So you're always in this gray zone constantly. Mm -hmm. But I feel this gray zone is actually a superpower of being able to bring what one culture is lacking from another what I feel my culture, or at least our Asian cultures, we bring a lot of things like sharing, caring, family, mm. and just like making the biggest portions of food possible <laughs> to share. And when it comes to the Quebecois culture that I've grown up with, there's something about emotions and just like opening up and being able to be voicing your feelings and being vocal and having words about feelings. Because I remember when I was in Cambodia, there was this person that said, you know, in Cambodian, we only have three emotions, sad, angry, or happy. That's it. <laughs> Whereas to us, when we're in Western culture, hmm. you're not just sad. You can feel like melancholy. You can feel uh, depressed. You can feel just under the weather. Hmm. But you can feel all these ranges of feelings that are not just so black and white they're gray they're in this zone of grayness that becomes so widened by the spectrum of it all so yeah, yeah i feel like again that's a diaspora perk to be lost but to be able to grow with learning what fits for you yeah create new things exactly hmm. create this new sense of belonging and what you can bring to the table to generations before you and after you. Amen. I noticed that you're also a VJ. Yeah. What is this? So, you know, DJs, they are music. Mm -hmm. But VJs are the ones that are in the background with the visuals. So, visual jockey kind of. Oh, dude, yeah. I thought it was just like looping all the time. I never think of this. No, because... You know, when you play a song, it has a beat. It has to go with the uh, energy. Mm -hmm. So having someone in the background can add more to the performance. Yeah, 100%. So when, when the music goes intense, you can add more strobe or add more effects. Or, That's oh, awesome. Yeah. So being, to be able to project um, visuals where people can connect to not only just by looking at the music and the lights, but you can also add visuals. It's just so cool. It's something that people don't think about, but we still are aware of it. Art is so consumed freely and mm. so openly, but people forget there's people behind the art, right? Mm -hmm. But 
again, you, you're taking the picture of the music, but I always see people taking pictures of the visuals and that's something that's so fun and cool to think about. Yeah. So as a video illustrator, what's your opinion about, you know, those museum uh, like experiences that they do, like experience Van Gogh, experience Dali or whatever. What do you think about that? I think it's um, another type of projection experience. Mm -hmm. I feel this is just a way to open or broaden people's desire of learning something new or unfortunately a very superficial way to find more experiences to enlighten their social medias or whatever. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of these things uh, happening right now that are very more sensor, more for your senses mm -hmm. rather than the experience. But I don't particularly enjoy it. I'm a very purist person when it comes to arts. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like, it's already so vibrant to see a Van Gogh in person. And it's, it's like, I'm... If I could, I'm missing just two sunflowers in the world to see in real life because I'm so passionate about it. But that's because I'm passionate about it, right? Everything in arts has a spectrum nowadays where it comes to the bigger public, to a smaller public. Hmm. Artists, artists just consume so massively that if this is what they need, then so be it. If this is what they want, okay. But for me, it's not my thing. I don't enjoy having to see a exhibition of Van Gogh going so fast. Like it's yeah. something that you have to, I don't know. I enjoy taking things on my own time and my, and sometimes I could stay 10, 15 minutes in front of a, of a painting because it's something that just moves me so much. But yeah. again, everything is subjective, right? Everyone mm. has their own will or time. And that's just not what I'm aiming for. Same here. Yeah. I prefer just staring at a painting and like, why did it go left instead of right? Oh, I yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't. I mean, maybe not going in that sense. Maybe I would just go like, wow, just appreciate what's in front. Not mm. like I said, kind of how I describe my work. It is what it is. But don't maybe look for desire of something different. Just mm. take it as it is and just oh, okay. take it on how you feel. Maybe Van Gogh at that moment, he was like, fucking losing an ear and just in a mental <laughs> institute and just being like forbidden from the whole world of arts mm. you know like just trying to immerse yourself in that moment and into that time it's like a time traveling moment kind mm. of yeah and there's so much to it yeah for me for me to my point is for me it's the psychology of the painter it's more of what was he going through? What was he thinking when he was doing? I don't care what he's trying to portray. I'm I'm a big fan of Dylan. Like Dylan said, I don't know what when I create. I don't know what it means. I just create. Mm -hmm. You know. But for me, it's when I look at art, I'm like, oh, what was he thinking? Why is he why did he use red instead of something else? That's how I try to enjoy art. But speaking of art, you know, Toronto has that graffiti alley. Yeah, I guess. But like other, many cities have graffiti alleys. Do we have that? Do we have in Montreal? I think they're hidden, but we do have a lot of, like graffiti art is very prominent everywhere in big cities mostly, but I'm sure we have some. I just don't know them all, but hmm. we have a lot of like graffiti festivals like Under Pressure or just very like 
grassroots communities um, made um, days or events, you know, but that's mm -hmm. something to to discover on their own, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I see that you work with a lot of artists. How did that building relationship has influenced your journey as an artist, as a human being? Well, it's funny because now we're slowly not together anymore, but <laughs> it's mostly um, the friends that are along the way that stay. Mm -hmm. Sure, there are some projects that fizzle down because everybody grows, everybody is going to different paths and different ways. So it's mm -hmm. not, it's, it's just, it just happens if it doesn't work. When it works, though, it's so interesting to be able to learn from other people their techniques and the ways that they do things and to see people that you admire to work with them. And you like, I also was in the collective with a lot of people and for more, more than 10 years with them. And for me, it's something that was so meaningful. Like I grew up so quickly with them to be able to work on my practice and who I am today. Hmm. But yeah, I think it's the desire of being able to learn new things from other people. It's yeah. what leads me to wanting to create with other people. And also to know no people. There's a lot of, there's just, it's a very male dominated field in what I do. Mm -hmm. Well, mostly in animation, actually. So trying to be able to connect with a lot of female or queer or non binary people that are more marginalized, like BIPOC people as well, mm -hmm. to be able to create a community and to build a community of people together. And to be able to like help each other out, that's even the better outcome of being able to work with other people. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Uh, like collaboration is so important, especially when you're creating art. It just it makes it more fun. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, gatekeeping information or gatekeeping help—it's not really like helping us move forward. Working together actually builds a stronger community. Yeah, exactly. How do you balance? being an artist and being your own marketer? Oof, I hate it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I feel like people don't understand how difficult it is to sell oneself hmm. um, because you get into the market and you build yourself up. And then how do you know who you are when you get out of all of this? It's hmm. really intimidating, but in some sense now after all these years of working when i talk to like students and younger people hmm. what i say the most is don't lose who you are the personality and your person is what makes you the most genuine in your work mm -hmm. so when i market myself which is maybe too capitalistic in a sense to say but <laughs> the way i project myself maybe to people and i share to people is how I'm just honest with my values and what I believe in, you know, mm. like it's not something I want to hide. I have a lot of issues that are very near and dear to my heart and I desire to share them because I feel they need a platform. So if I can be as true to myself, it reflects on my art and the people that want to collab with me. I feel a lot of things that I've been working on for the past 10 years I've been very lucky to be able uh, to make work that relies on my values and to help us 
society somehow or just like societal situations that need to be talked about, like Mm -hmm. the housing crisis recently or BIPOC people or queer people, all these things that I feel that need more of a push Mm. and to be able to be paid for doing it too. That's so cool. Like, Yeah. yeah, if you can market yourself somehow, and I know it's really difficult with all like the technicalities of I have to post at this time and this hour <laughs> to make it look good or this, that, like, you know, it shouldn't take much more time as it should. If you want to do it, just do it if you want, but don't do it because you, you have to. Mm, yeah. You have created so much beautiful art, vid- visually, painting, murals, and videos, animation. But has it, do you still suffer from self-doubt when you're creating? Absolutely. I mean, you say such nice things and I'm like, Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely ingrained in us also as women to be told that you're lesser of mm. and in our culture to always be put down because you're lesser of. Mm. So it's something where for me, that's my issues. But I feel something that connects a lot to me and other like maybe non-binary and more women uh, and identifying people uh, that I meet, we are very quick on, you know, self-depreciating yourself because we're always <laughs> put down somehow because we're always like butting our heads against each other because that's how society made us to do. But self-doubt is for sure everybody's worst enemy. <laughs> but at the same time, I try to give myself a, some slack and be like, at least if I'm still working still, I can give myself a tap on the back and be like, I still have this privilege to do what I love and what I do. I try to re-humble myself rather than self-doubting myself. Even if this year has been very difficult for me and many, many creatives that I've talked to because Mm -hmm. of the economy and everything, Mm -hmm. but not only the economy, but the lack of work and whatever. But I feel like we... Sure, self-doubt is present, Um, (laughs) but it's, I feel like as I talk to everybody about this, um, yeah, self-doubt is present, but it does push us to try and make something more, you know, trying to explore more, trying to create more and try to explore what the limits of us are or even know what limitless we are, you know, it's not Sometimes, yeah, it's difficult, but it can also be just another force that lights under our ass, you know, just like. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Your recent work, Glimmer, beautiful, beautiful. I love the shapes of the (laughs) birds. What made you think of the shapes and what made, what inspired you to create such work? That is so crazy that you're asking about that because I've had like my two last uh, very serious relationships. Once I broke up with them, there was this like very strong desire of creation that just happened. It's Hmm. so weird. It just arrives. The last time I did that was um, very similar where it was more like uh, Madonna's, well, woman. And they were just filled with flowers and everything. And Hmm. it looks kind of like what I did right now with Glimmer where it's like a bunch of birds with... um, very similar flowery nature patterns and all. Um, So I don't know. I guess when I have strong feelings or emotions, 
it just comes out naturally. And you know, like you said with Dylan, how I just create and it just let it happen kind of. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what it is. I I sometimes go too intensively and I don't sleep sometimes because I feel this desire to create that is too stronger than me. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, if I would go to sleep, I couldn't go to sleep. So I have to mm-hmm. do it. And so Glimmer was basically that. It just um, derived from another breakup. And two years after the breakup, I kind of looked forward to... Um, Two years, one year. Anyway, one to two years of this breakup, I tried to look for closure and mm. I didn't receive it. And that is totally fine. But when that person when that person said, yeah, I, I don't think it's good for us to desire to push more into that. Mm. For me, I said, perfect. We'll stop here. And that's where the boundary stops. And then I just started creating so many birds. And for like... Three nights straight, I just kept drawing, drawing, drawing. But for me, it's also, I've always drawn a lot about like, you know, I just want people to see very quickly what is being drawn, kind Mm. of like uh, the flowers. I want to see people to see the flowers or I really like when people can see how it is. And maybe the birds unintentionally maybe just signify a sense of freedom or a sense of like going out or it's so simple i feel what i've done but i don't think i've analyzed it as much as some people might have and that's mm-hmm. what i try to do with my um my work is just i just push it out on a paper and that's it i don't always think much about it and sometimes if that's what i want to do i just do it or mm-hmm. if i want to write a story i just write it and then i do it i don't <laughs> like Again, I don't block the feelings. I really yeah. move by my feelings. You have to do it. You have no choice anyway. I have no choice. If I have to sleep at 7 a.m. in the morning, I will. And that's how that's how powerful I feel my emotions lead me to my creations. Yeah. And that's I love, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, 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 please go. Oh, we're just saying like I used I had a former guest and he, he's very creative. He's super creative, but for some reason, apparently, he cannot create his own original work. His music, videos, photography, everything. It has to be someone suggested. Really? And yet, yeah, which is like, that is so weird. Because like, like me, when I'm writing something, sometimes I don't even think. And I'm mm-hmm. just watching whatever, pop TV. Mm-hmm. And a line will come in or a whole poem or a whole story will come in. And what do you got to do? You have to write it down. You have no choice. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you'll never sleep, like you said. <laughs> but I mean, sure, inspiration can come from the exterior. But as an artist, you have to. I feel like you need to define what your main basics are. Like mm. what makes you as you. What makes you recognizable from the others. <laughs> so I would. I do take a lot of inspiration, like everybody does. But there's a difference between inspiration. But there's also a difference between just like blatantly copying someone. Mm-hmm. Like I would never, I would try and take from what I've seen and just readapt it to how I would do it. Because yeah. nothing's new. Nothing is new. The ideas and the main basics of everything, nothing is new. But mm-hmm. who you are and what you bring, that's the part where you can bring something new to it. And I feel that's something that 
you have to learn to adapt. I would, again, hearing that I would take something else from someone, un- unless it's for, let's say, something that's like, you know, a demo reel or just like something simple that mm. won't make money out of it. Sure. Yeah. I guess. No, no, he's not, he's not taking it. It's more of like, let's say he made a film. Mm-hmm. If somebody wrote the film and then he will make the film. He will direct oh, the so film. Oh, so he needs help. He needs help. Okay, but, but he, he can still create for himself. He, I asked, I pushed, and he said he can't. Hmm, interesting. He said he will think of, let's say, a line of a song, and then yeah. he has to present it to his band or his group, and then he can create. But they, just him to finish the whole song, he, he Oh, can't. so you, you mean that he just looks for more help, I guess? In yeah, I don't know. I think creating? he feeds off collaboration. Oh, okay. In that sense, then... I don't think it's in this case what I so basically what I said is different from what he has. Yeah. So you what that person is looking for is just it's just like a main idea and then expand from it. Yeah. He cannot I, expand it for some reason. Alone. Alone. He yeah. needs to expand with others. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what you were asking about earlier about the idea of collaboration. I think that's also part of it to be able to collab in a team and just some people need teamwork and some people are more introverted and more restricted into themselves you know that's yeah that's different i mean me that's why i work from home since i've been a freelancer i feel like i create better in a more like solo environment rather than where i have too many things that are all around me and then i would just be like distracted all the time Looking ahead, what are your aspirations and goals for the future, both in your art and your career? Um, the things that I'm looking forward to is just to keep going, to see if maybe people still want to see my work in places, to be able to survive of it still, to be able to be able to keep sharing my platform. Um, to be able to just, like I said, to be able to live out of it is just a privilege that I, I, I keep on being very thankful and grateful for. Um, I hope maybe someday being able to expand to wider audiences, maybe mm. in the world or whatever. But things take time and things will come when they'll come. But I'm not, I'm manifesting things, but I'm not pushing things either. And I feel like I'm in a situation where um, I got into, I was in a very bad situation mentally for the past two years. And Mm. this year has been, well, actually this summer, I've been slowly taking back my narrative and my own self. So I feel like... Proud of you. Thank you. I feel like art and work is just secondary to what, where I am right now. I don't try to think too much about the future right now because I'm learning a lot about accepting the present moment. And I think I'm more on the path and a journey, and I feel like my work kind of just collides into together with it. It just grows with it. So mm. I don't, I really feel like it's such a complicated question because if we go into deeper answers, I would start talking about my eco anxiety and how like the world's going to shit. But <laughs> other than that, if in a very like egotistical sense of this and this conversation, I just hope for the best and hope that things will still go okay for me. 
and that's everything. all I need. <laughs> everything is okay, and everything will be okay. Well, I feel like that's actually wrong because that's toxic, <laughs> toxic positivity. <laughs> But I just feel, yeah, I've I don't desire that everything will be okay. I just think that hopefully things will be okay. But things will happen on their time, rather than pushing into positive, constant thoughts. Mm. Well said. Let's close out with that again, Meili. Before <laughs> we close out, if you want to say something, promote anything, of if you have any last remarks, go ahead. <laughs> well, like I said, you can follow me on Instagram or on the internet at Meili Keo M A Y L E E K E O. Um, I hope you are well. I hope you have a circle of friends that love you and people that care about you. I hope your feelings are heard of and I hope you're going to be okay wherever you are today and we're happy to have you here today with us. Mm. Again, Millie, Akon for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Take care. Again, Meili, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Dolyosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.